Hello, listeners. I am Martin, and this is the Speaking of Europe podcast. I am joined today by Jules Audience <laughs> and Federico Giovannini to talk about the Dutch election that took place last Wednesday. Federico joins us from the Italian peninsula, if I'm not mistaken. Are you? Yes, yes, it's still a peninsula. Very good. Still, still alive. <laughs> still a peninsula. We we'll still keep it this not, way. Not, not an it's island. It's geopolitically yet. useful, so we keep it this way. Okay, nice. And Jules Orchians joins us from the Dutch landlocked peninsula, if I'm not mistaken. This is well, not entirely. You mis uh, don't mistaken. include the Caribbean colonies, who are which are islands, and we still own them. <laughs> no, unfortunately, but. By the way, the S is silent. It's Jules. Limburg, I will try <laughs> better uh, for Martin next Martin realized this after six years. But, <laughs> but I still love you, though. But I still can't pronounce the Spanish R. Limburg, so still Limburg is actually a landlocked peninsula, you could say. Yeah, yeah, kind okay. of. Yeah. Now I we don't understand think that each it other. rings a lot of bells to listeners, but that's true, They should yeah. think more. They should think twice about their knowledge. Anyways, um, yeah. let's get down to our topic of the day, which are Dutch elections. On Wednesday, there were general elections in the Netherlands. And maybe, Jules, you can introduce us to what happened and how did um, the elections change the previous political equilibrium? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to give a very short answer, the um, governing party of uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte, the conservative liberal VVD, became once again the biggest party. They even gained two more seats. Um, on the other hand, the pr radically progressive parties, the social liberals of D66 and my own party, the pan-European party Volt, have gained a lot of seats. And the far right has gained a lot of seats, but the left has um, lost a lot of uh, seats in the parliament. So that's basically what has happened in a nutshell. But um, yeah, I think what is interesting is that what we see in the demographic trend in the Netherlands is uh, there's a yawning gap between the progressive pro-European and pro-ecological camp on the one hand, and then the conservative nationalist and climate skeptical camp uh, on the other hand. And I think that this data puts its finger on the sore spot, not only in the Netherlands, but in the European Union as a whole, that voters for progressive parties are putting less and less trust in conservative citizens and the other way around. So what you actually see in the Dutch elections is that all the parties that have confessed color very clearly, either on this nationalist camp or on this progressive um, pro-European camp, they have gained a lot of seats. Um, then the conservative liberal party of Prime Minister Mark Rutte has gained a lot of seats by being explicitly in the middle of both. But all the parties who have not really been clear on where they are on this spectrum, um, most notably the left-wing parties, they have uh, seriously suffered from uh, the election outcome. 
with the so with I, the I think wing, that is with yeah. the left wing parties and precisely this uh, kind of continuum between nationalist and cosmopolitanism. This is more or less what you're what you are arguing about. So in in few in a few words, it, it would be. On the one hand, if you're a nationalist, you would talk about uh, regaining uh, Dutch sovereignty. And if you're a cosmopolitanism, you talk about furthering uh, European integration. You support the rescue package. You think you talk about uh, European taxation or what is more or less to... the debate. Yeah, exactly. No, you want to also bring sovereignty on this European level. You want to talk and like look at problems from a not just European point of view, but from this universalist point of view, right? From this point of view that um, ideally everyone in the world deserves to have these kind of policies or doesn't deserve to have those kind of policies. Like, So it wasn't only about that the cosmopolitan parties were radically pro-European. They also wanted to talk about genocide in China, for instance. They also wanted to talk about how, what kind of attitude do you want to take towards Saudi Arabia? And on the other hand, you had these nationalist parties who say, well, we can talk about that, but the most important thing is actually uh, how to protect Dutch sovereignty, how to protect Dutch interests in Europe and in the rest of the world. Um, let's leave this European Union, or at least let's change this European Union into a less strong um, cooperation. So, so, so the debate between these parties were very clear. And then you had the left-wing parties who were more like, yeah, you know, we're not against the European Union, but the European Union is a neoliberal project. So we're also skeptical about the European Union. But it was very vague, actually, what what they stood for in uh, internationalist terms. So you, you in, in, in other words, you would say like the left-wing kind of lost its ideological uh, backbone or they did how how did they actually what what they were stand what were they standing for in terms of uh, their left-wing agenda because it seems they were standing yeah, so, uh, against the neoliberal europe or um against the conservative camp but did they have a proactive program as well well, I mean, I think that's a good question because normally you would often hear from like Marxist commenters like Federico that uh, left-wing parties uh, are simply not ideological enough. They're not uh, leftist enough. But what you've seen in these elections is that the Social Democrats, they were very clear on uh, saying that they don't want to participate in a coalition if not all the other left-wing parties are invited. They were very keen on emphasizing the inequality in uh, the Netherlands. So they had a very clear left-wing agenda. But um, more and more Dutch people are interested in what kind of ideology you want to present on an internationalist uh, level. Do you want to have more European integration or do you actually want to get rid of this European Union or do you want to have something in between? You have to confess color here. And the left-wing parties kind of failed to do that. With the exception, by the way, of one far-left party that uh, entered the parliament for the first time. Uh, the party is called Bijeen. And they're very unique in Europe because they actually were founded by the Black Lives Matter movement. Like the majority of their members are actually people of color. Um, but they are openly anti-capitalist. 
And at the same time, they really want to um, hijack the European Union from within and turn it into an anti-capitalist uh, project. They have a very clear program on that. They have a very clear blueprint for that. They also have a very clear outlook towards internationalist problems on racism across the world, on uh, genocides in China, etc. So they have a very clear position there. And that's why many people that I know, particularly high-educated left-wing people, voted for such a radical party, whereas normally they would vote for a less radical party like the Greens. So in the end, it was, in my eyes, not as much about how ideological uh, is your party, but much more, once again, about how you confess color in this debate between internationalism and nationalism, between Europeanism and localism. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. And maybe asking now Federico, because what you're actually saying is that maybe the left, what is lacking is this internationalist uh, perspective or outlook. And maybe it's a it's a problem affecting the left elsewhere as well. And and I don't know. Maybe Federico has uh, has a position on whether the left has an internationalist perspective or is rather localist in in its uh, program. Well, definitely um, a big issue today for the left is a lack of um, engagement on a. Um, on an international level and uh, of course uh, there is no clear position about it uh, in most of the countries but before I uh, stick with uh, Jules uh, terms and the standard he set I'm gonna do the other way around and counteract uh, his <laughs> his approach Go kill him. maybe 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 I maybe I read <laughs> I read uh, fake sources but, uh, from, <laughs> but, but, but from, from what likely. I read the <laughs> from what I read, um, a big issue on the side, not, not to deny what I just said about the left lack of internationalism and clarity on, on topics like Europe and, and the nation state. But, but from what I read, uh, most center left parties actually lacked a proper um, ideological uh, leftist uh, critique of uh, Rutte's handling of the corona crisis. Uh, they, they focused more on looking like they, were, they could be good in an in a, in a obviously coming uh, coalition government because it's always unavoidable to have a coalition government in the Netherlands. Um, and, and their slogan was more like, yeah, we can be, uh, we, we uh, sign with this idea that the goal of the next governments should be to return to normal life rather than um, creating a, a radically new uh, and better society. So I think um, that rather than just look at the cosmopolitanist versus, na versus nationalist uh, dichotomy, which is relevant, um, I think it's also very, very important to actually look at the dichotomy of politics as understood, uh, understood as uh, management or as a space of radical conflict. Because it seems to me that the, the, the general um, assumption of the uh, leftist parties uh, or, uh, performed really badly in this election was, yes, politics is uh, rather about management. We are going to be uh, good to um, in government. Uh, we're going to uh, be uh, better at le at, at for leadership uh, or we're going to be better for um, managing the situation in order to go back to normal life. Uh, instead of saying, no, uh, Ruta's government 
has been an, um, in the interest of the elite. Uh, they are they just want to go to normal life because normal life is a status quo that that only satisfies the few instead of the many and we can create out of this crisis which is showing so many problems in how our nation states are built and in how our economy is built we can actually start to look at what went wrong and create a radically alternative economy for instance um and I think this is what lacked. And so, I, and for example, that's why um, the only po uh, leftist party which performed decent, uh, or by its standard actually good, is the uh, Article one, uh, Article one, first article, how, how are they called? Yeah, yeah, now they're called Bayein, which ah, means bay at ain. one. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah it's, yeah. it's Bayein, because they, they've actually been openly about um, these, this idea of politics as a space of radical conflict. Um, so yeah, but, I think yeah. this is also what's really important. Also, because in this sense, you can also you you can better explain why Rete was successful. Because as you said, Rete uh, stood a bit in the middle of of this dichotomy you presented. Then uh, how could we explain his success? I think by the fact that that these, this idea of management, which is right wing, is actually hegemonic, and he and he used it, and the left didn't take the chance to actually uh, criticize it and and propose a new idea of politics. And I think that's a very good point. Sorry, Federico. I speak uh, like Zizek. He, he keeps talking for hours, and <laughs> no one is listening to him it anymore. He says so much keeps... about Federico that he likes to uh, compare himself with Zizek. Yeah, yeah. Humbly, humbly said, <laughs> I'm the new Zizek. <laughs> Um, but uh, now asking you, Jules, because this is an interesting point. I, I mean, at the end of the day, that how the Dutch political system is is constructed by design leads to coalition building, leads to a consensus, and leads to centrism. So at the end of the day, maybe I'm, I'm being provocative. What Mark Rutte is saying, there is there are, there you as as you pointed out. Um, Last uh, week when we talked, you were saying when when he got asked about uh, having a vision, he said, if you have a vision, you should go to the eye doctor. And maybe this is not appealing because it's not transformative in its discourse, but maybe it's the only possible uh, outcome in a political system where you actually have to make a coalition of four or five parties. And by, def and by, by design, you will end up in the political center. So maybe we have to change the the institutional design of the Dutch political system, or how do you see interesting it? Interesting remark. Yeah, interesting remark. But I, I would like to say two things about that that are related to what you say, Martin, but also what Federico says. So first of all, about this institutional demand. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, Federico was making weird faces, but um, the, the the thing is actually it's the other way around, right? There, there's no institutional um, uh, blueprint for the Netherlands to build coalitions. In fact, until the First World War, approximately, uh, also to some extent until the Second World War, there was a political culture um, in which all the decisions um, demanded to form new majorities with all the small parties. But after the Second World War, um, it became very evident that it was much more efficient for centrist parties to build coalitions up forehand and promise each other that they will support each other no matter what in the upcoming four years. So, 
So th- th- there's n- there's not necessar- there's no um, law, no uh, institutional basis that demands that the Netherlands has to form coalitions, right? It's actually ironic that the far right party in the Netherlands is the only one that has been pointing this out that you don't need to form uh, pre-made um, coalitions. This is just a political culture really in the Netherlands, right? So uh, people expect coalitions to happen, so they're not going to vote strategically. They might vote for the Social Democrats or for the far left or for the Greens. It doesn't really matter because in the end, you just hope that all of these parties together will form a coalition. And in many other countries, they're much less used to such broad coalitions. So people also vote differently. They vote more strategically. So I think it's much more a political culture than an institutional problem. But um, like related to this and what you know, Federico was saying about presenting radical radically new um, ideas there's another far left party in the netherlands right it's called the socialist party and i'm not calling socialists far left because i'm a liberal uh, the the se- socialist party in the netherlands is actually it, far it's left not the labor most party. Other it's not the labor party no it's no, not no, the no, labor party not. the labor party is social democrat and they also belong in brussels to the social democrat alliance but the socialist party belongs to the um uh, gauche unitaire uh, in brussels so really to the far left group um, they are also very radical. They they have very radical ideas about how to change society. They're very antagonistic towards Rutte. Um, they have also often said, like, um, a promise that they would never go into a coalition with Rutte because Rutte is simply too libertarian for their ideology. Um, now, in this election, they said that they would, but then, prime, uh, then Rutte should promise to not become the prime minister. So they have, like, very strong demands also about reshaping society but they don't have a straightforward answer to what this means for the rest of europe they and 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 this is my point i kind of agree with federico that they need um um, that left-wing parties need radical blueprints but part of a radical blueprint should be whether you position the netherlands on a nationalist spectrum or on an internationalist european spectrum you yeah, want to uh, concerning, reply? Uh, um, no, it's good that, that you pointed out uh, about the um, Socialist Party and also its decline. I, I, I just wanted to talk about this, actually. Uh, the problem is that the Socialist Party, uh, from what I read, I don't know if my sources are still fake, um, basically it, it, it grew, it grew um, at first in its history as a more uh, grassroots movement, uh, very radical, but then as it got um, um, institutionalized in a way, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it kind of lost touch with, with its uh, uh, basis, uh, with its activists. I, I've heard that, I, I read... Not happens heard, for read. Every, to every left-wing party, I think. Well, right? it, it happens often and it's a struggle, right? Because then you have a, a party elite that actually just wants to be more... Easily elected, so they tend to be more moderate. And then you got the uh, the activists who actually want to keep fighting for uh, those ideals. I I read that recently the the party uh, um, the um, the head of the party they uh, cut off the, the, they cut off the uh, youth left uh, wing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this is quite telling. And why? 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 Because the, uh, the 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 youth party was uh, using too much of a Stalinist discourse in the eyes of the of the far left. Yeah, party. but yeah, but you but yeah. you see how easy it is when when you um, f- for for party leaders when they want to actually get close um, to to the middle 
uh, average to the average voter they appeal to a commonsensical uh, con conservative uh, discourse and then it's really easy to 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 go to a, a, le a far leftist and say you're a stalinist it immediately resonates in the mind of, of the voters. And then you look like you're more electable, you're more like uh, moderate, and then you, you could be more... But then, but then you see why did they fail, because they, they basically lost th their their um, radical roots in a way, right? And also it's, it's activists, they didn't vote for them because they were disenchanted with, with the party leadership. Well, well, can I say something? Of course. Um, I mean, the, the, the hardcore uh, activists of uh, the Socialist Party did still vote for them. But what is what is the problem with the Socialist Party and with many far left parties in Europe? Right? It's also the case with Die Linke in uh, in Germany and with uh, France Insoumine in France that they have a bit of a Maoist working culture. So the leader and this very small circle of leaders in far left parties. They have huge, huge power on the decision-making within their parties. Very different from social democrats, Christian democrats, or liberal parties. So I think this is also a particular problem of far-left parties and far-right parties, by the way. Um, then there, in addition to that, I mean, the far-left socialist party has always been, to some extent, actually conservative. And that might sound paradoxical, but the point is, of course, that the welfare state in the Netherlands used to be much stronger until the 90s, as in many uh, European member states, right? And so for the Socialist Party, it made a lot of sense to take a very conservative discourse in general. Let's go back to that Netherlands of the 1970s, 1960s, when the welfare state was still strong. But that also means that if you take such a conservative attitude, it also means that you have a very ambivalent attitude towards European integration and globalization. Because it basically means that, well, you have to go back to the times when the nation state was strong. So I, I think that is also a particular problem of the far left that they fail to uh, face. And maybe part of that is indeed because it's not grassroots, but it's also just a general ideological deficit of the far left. I, I, I think your comment is very interesting because it reminds me of uh, Podemos in Spain, where at the very beginning, they when they appeared six, seven years ago, they had a transformative program in the sense of let's advance uh, certain rights, let's transform the labor market, let's uh, create a social Europe. But with time, they are actually um, embracing a conservative discourse in the sense of keeping the existing rights in the threat of extreme right-wing parties. That's already a success. So at the end, left-wing parties, or at least also in Spain, they're becoming conservative because they're looking back to a time where there was no extreme right-wing parties and where uh, certain social benefits were assured by the state, which is not yeah. anymore the case. So mm, you can also think about this progressive conservatism as a new axis that is uh, being built that is less uh, has less vision but ha is, is, is maybe more centered around keeping uh, things as they are also in terms of the environment which is also a, a, a conservative uh, issue if you yeah. see it like that you can say we have to conserve preserve nature and uh, yeah. i was wondering what federico has to add to that 
No, I mean, I think this is really correct. And this, again, goes back to the dichotomy I proposed between uh, politics as sort of management of the status quo somehow, because this resonates in a way, you know, for, for the left, uh, rather than uh, politics as a space of radical conflict. And concerning the, the Socialist Party in the Netherlands, again, because I want to make clear that, to me, the failure of the left is really due to the lack of um, this idea of proposing politics as radical conflicts. Um, the S uh, SP, the Socialist Party leaders, say that they were, I read, that they were willing to go government to do government coalition with the right wing as well and with Rutte. And uh, this again, uh, it's connected to what Jules said to the, this idea of of um, having a strong leadership that then cuts off from the grassroots um, uh, backbone of the party which I think it's fundamental to have uh, grassroots uh, pressure all the time and, and grassroots struggle uh, within leftist parties. I Not only leftist parties, no, it should just be a democratic uh, precondition. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, but especially for the left, which is supposed to fight for, for those who are under, right? And... Um, and again, uh, this idea uh, of of uh, politics as management, right? SP leaders saying, "Yeah, yeah, we we we're open to gov to do government with with Rutte. It's again the same thing. No, well, I mean, they were actually the only party who were refusing to cooperate with Rutte, and and only now they were like slightly admitting to it. But he said, "But he cannot become the prime minister anymore." But like I. Yeah, you know, of course like, you can't say this you, during the you, you can't say it during the campaign. Yeah, we want him as prime minister, obviously. But still, you say you're open to to make government coalition with with right wing party. Mm -hmm. I I mean, if I can say one thing, Martin, go ahead. Um, that there has been this huge scandal in Dutch politics, right? Which was the childcare uh, benefit scandal. And the childcare benefit scandal, I mean, to just give you a very short impression of that, it, it is a truly horrifying scandal in which not only politics failed in the Netherlands, but the entire constitutional state. Judges admit that the law has failed here. Because what happened was that people were getting childcare benefits and then an inspector would come by and they would find out that this person would get groceries from their mother. And as a result, they had to pay everything back. They had to sell their house. Their lives were destroyed, really. Their dignity was destroyed. Um, their perspectives were destroyed. So from that point of view, it would be so logical that left-wing parties who use this as, um, as, a, as a scandal that clearly is a product of the Rutte elite can very, very um, quickly grow in the Dutch debate. And the Socialist Party has used this fiercely all the time. They were getting close to calling Rutte a criminal. But at, at no point this seemed to have an impact on the polls. Dutch citizens care about the scandal, right? But it was no reason to vo vote for the left. So once again, I, I, I think that something is going wrong there. But Martin, you, you want to uh, say something? Yes, I think like to give it a different spin to the same question, um, maybe which is happening all, all over Europe and also in the United States because of the pandemic, there is a general shift towards more intervention of the state to secure the rights of citizens, an expansion of the healthcare system, an expansion of uh, minimum wages, universal basic income, childcare support. And this is shifting the general mm, ground towards the left. And from what also Rutte said a few weeks back, he said at the at the end of the day, the Netherlands is a socialist country, right? Which yeah, in a, and in you're a seeing this as a conservative libertarian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. but in a way, 
um, that, that wh wh how does the left find space in a, in a political debate that culturally or by the spirit of the times is moving towards a bigger role of the state? Where do they find a position? Because it's striking, as you say, that regardless of this huge scandal, the left doesn't find a discourse that appeals to voters that are uh, um, that are angry at the fact that the the the, the root elite was p penalizing immigrants for very legitimate behavior. So what what's going wrong with the left? Is it a matter of the spirits of the times that are moving left, and so they don't find a space, or is it uh, an, an issue that we're still not understanding? You have a an, yeah. I think that's. Sorry. I, I think that's a really good question. And let's go back to Bayein, what their discourse is, because Bayein has succeeded in gaining momentum in this uh, Dutch elections. Although let's not give them too much uh, credit because they only uh, gained one seat. But still, I mean, most Dutch parties start with one seat in the parliament. So um, and now you're going to campaign for free for four years in the parliament. This is the way how you make it in Dutch politics. What they did very differently from the Socialist Party. So they were equally far left. They were equally radical in attacking Rutte. They were equally um, using the scandal to present it as a product of a corrupt neoliberal elite in the Netherlands. And that this has to be uprooted. But what was different was that by Ain, um, uh, its leader, Sylvana Simons, a very, very strong and opinionated uh, politician, uh, looked in the camera and said... But do you guys realize that this problem is much, much worse than the Netherlands only? This is a system that is keeping institutional racism, institutional inequality, institutional sexism alive in the entire world. This is the same elite that is uh, pushing down black people in America. This is the same elite that is keeping Russia undemocratic. This is the same elite that is um, trading oil from Saudi Arabia. So they had a much clearer, widely internationalist um, point of view from their, this uh, perspective. And I think that is exactly what I already stressed earlier, the kind of discourse that people are hungry for right now. People are either very, very afraid for internationalism and want to vote nationalist, or they want to vote for an internationalist um, party. And then when you choose this internationalist discourse, then it's a question, do you want to go to the liberal side, to the conservative side, to the far left side? That's all possible, but choose your color in this nationalist, internationalist dichotomy. And that is what the Socialist Party fails to do. They keep on promising that they can solve this as a Dutch government and Dutch left-wingers stop believing in that. And I think for good reasons. They have good reasons to stop believing in nationalist, um, I want to say nationalist socialism, but I don't want to call them Nazis, of course, <laughs> but nationalist uh, leftists, right? Yeah. Federico, you want to so, add so something? I or? No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is the point where uh, this idea of uh, radical conflict overlaps with internationalism. But um, still, I don't believe it, it is all about that. Uh, the fact that is that in this sense, um, looking at it from an international point of view for the left allows, obviously, to make a radical critique. Because um, problems which, which should concern the left are... are, are obviously have uh, an international route because uh, the problem is capitalism which is inherently international in in its in, in the way it functions and it's structured and 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 it moves around and everything so obviously if you want to make a leftist radical critique you need uh, you're forced to go international in 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 your analysis 
But this, again, I think, um, still um, uh, is not enough to talk about internationalism and nationalism, because then how do you explain Mark Rutte's uh, first, uh, uh, like, uh, sorry, not first, like, uh, umteeth victory? You know, he represents this idea of politics as management. I think this is also another side of the coin, which also explains why... Um, you have like you know this kind of decline in the quality of political activity for parties like Podemos, like like uh, Martin explains uh, as well. I think you you have this double dichotomy. On on the one hand, the fact that um, if you if you look at the uh, at the axis of internationalism and nationalism, you can actually make a better or 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 or, or less convincing analysis and proposal of your political view. And then on the other hand, you still have uh, this hegemonic um, construction of politics as management, which been it's been going on for 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 decades. That's why people are happy about Draghi in Italy, even if they shouldn't be happy about it, because they see oh he's a manager, right? And 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 then when you when people are tired of it, and actually someone comes with a, with the idea of politics as a radical space to re recreate society, then you get more more uh, enthusiasm, obviously, and people are more involved in it. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, Mark Rutte, um, of course, has the privilege of being the leader of the Netherlands for 10 years um, when he manages to keep the, the upcoming coalition together until the next uh, election. He will be the lo longest governing um, prime minister in Dutch history and the longest governing uh, leader in uh, today's Europe. But um, after, uh, so, after so, uh, Orban, of course, I think. It will be oh, yeah. after Orban. You're right. After Orban. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's very <laughs> appealing to forget the dictator in this, uh, in this story. But, you know, there's one, one point that I want to point out there. We should not compare um, nationalist left wing parties. And by that, I mean, left wing parties, they don't really necessarily have to be uh, nationalist openly, but they just look only at their nation state and they look skeptical towards international developments. We should not confuse nationalist left-wing parties in the Netherlands with uh, nationalist left-wing parties in a country like Spain or Italy, where the inequality is much higher, where the poverty is much higher, yeah, and where the middle class is much more under threat. True. So there is a good reason for far-left parties in uh, Italy to focus on the national realm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to offend lower-class Dutch people. They exist, right? There, are, there is also poverty in the Netherlands. But you cannot um, build a far-leftist party on that class in the Netherlands anymore. It's a middle-class country. And the point is, if you want to take a socialist point of view on a European level, then you will realize that the Netherlands really is some kind of Silicon Valley of the European Union. It's a bourgeois country. Being Dutch means almost by definition that you belong to the higher middle class of Europe. So how are you going to create a nationalist left-wing discourse in the Netherlands? It doesn't work unless you put it on an internationalist level and you ask Dutch people to show solidarity to poor Polish people, to poor Italians, to poor Chinese people, and so on. Good analysis. I, I well, we, we came to agree. <laughs> um, I think we, can, we could continue. And um, th talking about elections or, or politics as management instead of vision or transformation. And you were pointing out also the European dimension of or, or the, the necessity to acquire a European dimension, especially for 
Dutch left-wing parties where the, this, the, the, the program has its limits just by the fact that certain life standard is covered. What do you think this new political landscape says about the direction of European integration? Is there any kind of alteration of the balance of power? Is it a reformation of the status quo, more management or... Is there what yeah. you think? It, it, of course, the, the magic word in the Netherlands is always coalition. So it really depends on what kind of coalition um, Rutte um, uh, is going to make. But it turns out now very difficult to avoid the social liberal party D66, which is a radically pro-European party. Um, they were in the coalition already, in the last coalition, but there they were a very small party. Now they're an extremely big party. So you cannot avoid their demands. So if you're going to form a coalition with D66, that means that you will have to take in other progressive pro-European smaller parties. And that means that uh, I, I, I do believe that the Dutch government will take a more pro-European, pro-solidarity um, um, attitude in Brussels. So, um, so, so, so that is, I think, a change that is very likely going to happen. But at the same time, we shouldn't, um, of course... Um, overreact here, like get over enthused, because there there are just a lot of uh, Eurosceptic attitudes in the Netherlands that are uh, rather universal in the in the society. Right, there's a lot of racist attitudes towards Southern Europeans, believing that Southern Europeans are inherently corrupt and lazy. There's a there's a general um, something also um, internal to this podcast, right? It's true. <laughs> I have to say, well, it's Federico true. is always too late, so that's that's kind of true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Federico is no, the laziest you know, and the most corrupt amongst uh, them. Man, you're Spanish. <laughs> I mean, mm, we're modernizing. No, but but Martin is Basque, you know, so he's also true fighting that, against that. corruption. Anyways, maybe just Wait, as you a got closing remark, is from Madrid. No, he, he not has anymore. A surname. You are wherever <laughs> you want. To. If you if you are from the Basque country, you can always decide where you are from. And I'm now I'm from the Basque country. Anyway, <laughs> as a closing uh, remark, because there were also regional elections in in Germany last week, and what we saw as a, as a fast summary is that the CDU went down and they are falling. They're in free fall in the polls. So politics as management is going down. We could say. And the Greens, with their transformative, um, ecologically-oriented program, they are really killing it, and they're really increasing their uh, expectations of not maybe not winning the general elections, but at least fighting the elections against the CDU. So the question would be, how does do you think this... Um, I don't know. Is there is there a spillover effect from the Netherlands to Germany in terms of the general elections? Definitely. Because you say that they have shared political cultures. What do you think this the election in the Netherlands might say about the elections in Germany in in October? Yeah, like it, exactly. So there are national elections upcoming in in October in Germany. I mean, there are a lot of things that that also differ between Germany and the Netherlands. Two of the most important things is that uh, Germany has a threshold of five percent, which makes it very hard for radically new parties to enter. My party Volt will also join the elections there. We have been elected now again in all, all kinds of local elections in Germany, but on a national parliament, it's very hard. The other difference is, of course, that Merkel is leaving. 
and Rutte isn't leaving in the Netherlands, right? And Merkel is kind of the Rutte of Germany in that sense that, as you describe uh, already, she's a bit of this professionalist, uh, centrist, uh, stabilizing force that goes with the flow, really. But Merkel is now leaving, so that effect is kind of gone among the Christian Democrats. And in, in a way, you see the same thing now happening in Germany, the Greens are extremely cosmopolitan in their attitude, extremely internationalist in their attitude. The Green Party on a European level is one of the uh, EU party families with the highest party discipline. So a vote for the Greens in Germany is a vote for the Greens in Brussels and in the Netherlands. Uh, they also make that very clear. Uh, and then at the same time, you have, of course, the growth of the AfD, the um, alternative for Germany, uh, far right party. And uh, they are also, of course, very clear on what kind of Europe they envision. They envision a Europe without the European Union, without internationalism. But the Christian Democrats are once again taking a very cowardly centrist point of view that they might have sold as long as Merkel was leading it. But now they can't. And, you know, one more thing that I would like to add to this. That is also a prediction from my side when Rutte is going to leave politics in the Netherlands. That will definitely be the end of the conservative liberal VVD because after 12 years of being led by the prime minister of the Netherlands, the VVD has turned basically into Rutte Inc. They have nothing left except for constantly presenting themselves as the professional leaders of the country. That entire image will be completely destroyed when Rutte leaves. So, yeah, I think that's that's the that's the um, comparison between uh, Germany and, uh, yeah. and the Netherlands. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a nice closing remark because it also signals or highlights the importance of having a vision in the long term vision to have a sustainable political party. Otherwise, the moment the charismatic political figure or what the beloved political figure, be it Merkel, be it Rutte, whenever they leave, there is nothing left because there was no no vision behind it. Right. And right. um, maybe you want to <coughs> say something to close, Federico, or are you going that to the, shut up forever? No, no. The hope is in Germany, of course. And we'll but um, let's uh, be careful with green parties in the sense that very often there is lots of uh, liberal greenwashing in in environmental proposals. And I mean, we we got one chance in history to throw uh, environmental. Uh, movement and and discourse and and green policies and everything you have to make them in the right way and that would be really by by taking a radical tackle on 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 capitalism which cannot be done just from a purely liberal perspective so one as just one one shot with green with with green let's say wave i think at this point also because of the time of the earth uh, 2 p.m and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mean you know what I mean, and and so and so we we have to be careful because we got one shot. Well, that's an optimistic message or <laughs> something it's, in between. It's, it's Anyways, pragmatic advice. I think it's a good moment to come to a close and yeah, appreciate your conversation, your input. Hope to see you again in your uh, corresponding peninsulas, Jules and Federico. In presence. And Hope you you listen to us, dear listeners, and see you next time. Ciao. Yes. Da. Auf Wiedersehen and tot ziens. Okay.